that her dad had been one of the founding leaders of Young Life some two decades before. In this shared ministry, I really saw Kimberly Kirk. She had faith and an evangelical zeal that surpassed all her other gifts. I never tired of her company. Soon we were spending four, five, six hours a day together, punctuating our work with snowball fights, long walks, long conversations, and music. Sweet music. Within a month, my rash vow had expired. I was a goner. Kimberly Kirk and I were falling in love. I don't mean to bore you with personal details. I know that there's nothing exceptional about our story. We met, we were attracted to one another, yet determined to tough it out alone. So we resisted the attraction till we could resist it no more. Boy meets girl. It's quite literally the oldest story in the world. One is the loneliest number. When Christians and Jews tell the story of the human race, they begin in the beginning with God's creation of a man named Adam. Adam is the name of an individual, the founding father of the human race. But it is more, too. Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity. This is something like the way Americans use the name Washington to mean the first president of their country, the capital city of their country, and the government of their country. Washington's story is, in a sense, America's story. Yet Adam's story is even greater than that. It belongs to all the nations of the world and to everyone. Adam's story is our story, mine and Kimberly's and yours. Let's revisit that story at the beginning of the Bible. The book of Genesis begins with the account of God's creation of the universe. In six consecutive days, God created everything, night and day, the sky and the seas, the sun, the moon, and the stars, the birds and the fish, and the beasts of the fields. After each act of creation, God looked at what he had made and pronounced it good. To crown his work, God created man on the sixth day and gave him dominion over all the earth. Only then did God look at his work and declare it very good. We see in the next chapter of Genesis that God furnished the whole world for man's delight. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. God gave Adam this lush, fruitful garden to till and to keep. Thus, Adam lived in a world custom-made for his pleasure, a world without sin, suffering, or disease, a world where work was always rewarding, a world that, Genesis tells us, was unstintingly good. Yet God himself looked upon this situation and for the first time in the scriptures pronounced that something was not good. He said, it is not good that the man should be alone. What a remarkable statement. Remember, this took place before the fall of humankind, before sin and disorder could enter creation. 
Adam lived in an earthly paradise as a child of God, made in God's own image. Yet something was not good, something was incomplete. The man was lonely. God set out immediately to remedy the situation, saying, I will make him a helper fit for him. So God brought all the animals to man and asked him to name them, to exercise authority over them. Even so, things were still not good. For the man there was not found a helper fit for him. Though Adam could rule over the beasts, though he could enjoy fruitful, rewarding labor, he was still unfulfilled. For God made man on the same day as the animals, but he made man different from the animals. Only man was made in God's image and likeness. Thus, even with all the animals in the world, man was alone upon the earth.